Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And can we just jump into it? Yeah, fuck it. We're just jumping into it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. All right. We have some this week in writings today and also a bigger topic that I think is super important. The more I thought about it for this episode, the more important it became. And it's probably going to be a subject we come back to a bunch. Mm -hmm. Totally. It came out of thin air and I was happy you brought it up. Thin air. It just was like a gift from the gods. It came to us. Um, But... Yes, let's start with this week in writing because I know we have some. We do, but first, I got to give my shout out to my friend, GC, who's definitely listening to this right now. GC! I I just want to say hi, GC. Hi, GC! (laughs) He'll know. (laughs) Okay. So I I posted something on Twitter. Yeah. Which is never a good start to a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Someone hacked into my iCloud account. (laughs) (laughs) I had been in a conversation with my manager about Arcane, which is a show that I'm currently obsessed with. It's a show that's on Netflix. It's uh, sort of adult animated show based on the game League of Legends. It's fantastic. It's literally one of the best stories I've ever seen. And it's it's an incredible adaptation of something that is seemingly impossible to adapt, League of Legends, which is a game that has like 50-some characters or something. It's ridiculous. So anyways, I was obsessed with this show. I, I forced Josh to watch the pilot for me. <laughs> um, and I also did the same with my manager. And afterwards, she was like, you're right. The show is so good. But she's like, but who's the audience for this? And I was like, what? Where does that question come from? And this moment when this is out and clearly amazing. Yeah. Why is that question happening? Because for me, I'm just like, I don't even think about that. I just think this is a fantastic story that I want to tell. And a fantastic story will draw everyone. It doesn't matter. And it's interesting because her takeaway from something that's already produced, as well as things that I write and I, you know, (laughs) ideas, new ideas I approach to her, the question that is always embedded somewhere in there is who's the audience for this? Mm -hmm. And she never says that in a way that's like, you shouldn't write this because who's the audience for this? She just wants me to be able to have that in my head and understand who this should go to. And I, so I posted about this and I like... (laughs) A lot of people had feelings about this. <laughs> and a lot of people were like, fuck your manager. Like, leave her. She doesn't know what she's doing. And other people were like, she's right, Tasha. You got to listen to her. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. was really kind of 50-50. Josh, what do you think? Well, what's funny is I saw the tweet. And <laughs> I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. We really actually need to talk about this because I would agree with your manager. I think there has to be some consideration about who the audience is for. Yeah. Having said that, I don't think to myself, who's the audience for this new action script I'm writing? I just assume there might be one, maybe. Yeah. The argument can be made that the audience will find good material, but I understand that if you are a manager or an agent or a producer, you come at it from a point of view of like, who the fuck? There's only so many people buying things. And, you know, you have to look at it from a business point of view. I get it. Yeah. It's a valuable question to have in the arsenal of questions you're asking while you're creating stories. Mm -hmm. And I think part of where her question came for Arcane was, this is interesting. Usually animation that she has seen has been for 
younger audiences. This is clearly a violent show. It's not for younger audiences. Does that mean it's drawing adults who don't typically watch animation or is it only drawing adults who watch animation? Like, I think it was just really a sense of curiosity of um, kind of how the audience is changing as a result of the success of yeah. Arcane. But I remember well, she once asked me, I was writing a script that was like kind of a, a, a twist on the, the normal princess, Disney princess story. And it was darker because I write darker things. So there's mm -hmm. violence, there's more mature themes. And she was like, Tasha, who's the audience for this? I was like, I don't know, I don't care. I just wanna write this and I love it. It's a passion project. She's like, yeah. no, that's fine. But look, like you're writing, you're writing this kind of princess story, which lives in sort of the Disney world. Disney's not going to buy it because it's too violent. What other studios out there are making movies that exist in this kind of fantasy Disney world? It's like, okay, it's probably, you know, these two studios and that's really it. Okay, well, that limits where you can sell this project then. It's like, okay, I didn't think yeah. about it that way. And she's like, please feel free to keep writing it. I just need <laughs> you to be aware that your, your, all your effort may end up being able to only go to two places. Yeah. My manager said that to me before too. Like, Hey, I get it if you want to write it, but just know that it might not have a life. It'll just be a sample, a great It'll sample. It'll just be a sample. Until yeah. someone believes in it and wants to make it is the key. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's valid to write scripts that require someone to be passionate about it for it to get made, but yeah. you just have to be aware that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Versus you're, being surprised no one in the market's buying your crazy ass script. Of course, if you're writing a passion project and it, you like, I would never think about it. Like if I'm, I mean, of course I'd think about it, but I uh, just write your passion project. Like if I, I don't, I still don't think about it. Like, I still I don't think about Cause like some, sometimes she'll be like, Tasha, well, who's the audience for this? And I'll say it's, it's, you know, it's, it's me. It's I'm, 39 so it's like it's me and yeah. she's like yeah but your your main character is a teenager i was like yeah so she's like, well <laughs> if it's a teenager when people read this they're gonna think this is a ya story i'm like yeah they're gonna think that for like five minutes and then they start reading it and they realize it's not and then like the, but the question she's asking is like why have you chosen a teenager to tell your adult story if you have a reason and this works like stranger things works but yeah can it be an adult <laughs> like why have you chosen it it's she's pushing back and challenging me to to have real answers for these things that would be challenging in the market and i think that's important is this kind of like uh you know if when you give comparisons you're like in the vein of a perfect storm meets oceans 11. i mean that's mm -hmm. those are two very very different movies just george clooney popped into my head yeah. but i don't know it's tough I get, I get both sides of it. I really do. Yeah. So does the interwebs as it turns out. <laughs> Jesus. I felt, I felt in some, some ways it's, it was in the, the reaction to screenwriting Twitter is very interesting because some people get like very teachy, like I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you how yeah. you should react to this. And other oh people, again, like I said, were like fire your manager and I wanted to get on there and like protect her. And yeah. I was like, ah, it's not, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. We've entered the world where it's either like one way or the other way and there's you know there's, there's, no there's probably some middle ground yeah there's some yeah. gray area twitter <laughs> <laughs> i'm such a hypocrite but anyway <laughs> i know we all are on twitter yeah yeah, yeah. all right uh, all right you go you go i'm excited well i actually have two 
this week in writing. One's the thing I wanted to throw at you. I wanted to like throw this, I had this idea. And since we're entering the Christmas season, yeah. but I'm gonna hold off on that one for a second. I just wanted Aww. to do a very quick, okay. very quick thing. As you know, I'm rewriting this action script and I keep kind of like retooling, retooling, retooling. And this actually goes back to, I, th I think, this is gonna be a Tasha manager centric episode because I think your manager has said something before where it's like, once you write something in a script, it's really hard to kind of get your mind out of it. Yes, right? she's a big proponent of that. Yeah, and so basically I've been retooling this action script and I have been trying to get the act one in the, in a, in the right place because without my act one, nothing else makes sense. Mm -hmm. And Dave Levinson made a comment yesterday. Dave. Dave, friend of the podcast, uh, friend of the podcast. And he made a, he made a note there. He gave me a note about the script that like kind of opened things up and it was a really basic note, I think, but I couldn't like get my mind there because I've been living mm -hmm. in this script. And it was, it was weird to hear someone say something that, like, I don't want to say obvious because I don't want to discredit Dave's note, but it was something where I was like, I felt like I should have thought of it. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I should have thought of this months ago. How yeah. did I not see this? There's it, definitely something too. Once you put it in a script, it feels like it's in stone somehow yeah. in your brain. Yeah. And even fragments of my script, my act one are from older drafts where I'm just like, mm -hmm. oh, I kind of like this, but it just doesn't work anymore. So that, 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 that's just a this week in writing where if, you, if you're doing a complete retool or a reboot, just remember to keep an open mind. So if yeah. someone gives you a note and you're like, fuck you. You don't get me. <laughs> Just know. Can I be slightly more specific with, with your This Week in Writing? Because I feel like it's helpful. Not super yeah. specific. Because it is your script that you're actively working on. But yeah. like your thing was you had a character set up where your two main characters were certain kinds of people doing certain kinds of jobs. And Dave came in with this curveball Mm -hmm. that were like a knuckleball more like that he was like what if oh. they didn't have those jobs <laughs> like he was like what if they were actually not that at all and yeah. they were completely this other thing and we were all like oh that absolutely solves the problem but is it complete and i i'm curious when when you got the note where you're like aha this is the solve or you're like fuck you dave i'm not doing that that's 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 not right no when i got the note i was like Oh, I think that is more in line with what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. This is why my, my manager's solution, which I don't always agree with, but the way she tries to combat this problem with writers is stay in the outline phase as much as possible because mm -hmm. the outline phase feels a bit easier to move things around and get rid of stuff without feeling so attached. But as soon as it's for some reason, when your brain clicks in on what the screenplay is, it's so much harder to take that out and put something totally new in. This is the hard thing is we locked in an outline. I've been working with uh, a producer and, yeah. and the, uh, one, an actor on it. And it was like, here's the outline, here it is. And then I wrote the script and I got some notes back and we did another draft, another draft and things just weren't working. Mm -hmm. So then I presented it to you guys and girl, woman. And it was like, <laughs> here we go. We got that you, I got the notes that I needed and I haven't even showed them that I've completely fucking overhauled the script. So they're gonna, they're gonna love it. I think they will because it's going to work and it's going to. Uh, it will be different, but it will be better. All right, Tasha. Okay. So I have a This Week in Writing, my Christmas theme one, and I felt like we could maybe do like a quick little little brainstorm exercise. Okay. I'm nervous. Of, we're going we're gonna to just just spitball a movie real quickly. Okay. 
and then we'll go into the big topic. Okay. Okay. Natasha, I was watching Home Alone. And do you remember the scene where it's in act one of Home Alone? Kevin goes into Buzz's bedroom. Buzz is like, what the fuck are you doing here, you little shit? Mm -hmm. Without the swears. And he goes to the window and they see the old man shoveling and they're scattering the salt. And then Buzz says... Oh, that's, that's, you know, he's the South Bend uh, shovel slayer and he, you know, he kills his victims and he spreads them out on the, the pavement. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they become zombies. Yes. Zombies? That, that's what he says. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I blacked out at that point because <laughs> I was watching this scene and I thought to myself, oh man, what if there was a movie in the Home Alone universe that was like Home Alone meets Disturbia? about some kid who actually lives next door to the South Bend Shovel Slayer. <laughs> and, and I was like, how could this possibly work? It couldn't be Kevin McAllister, but surely there would be like a dark thriller horror film about a kid home alone and his next door neighbor is this vicious serial killer. In that, in your version, is he like actually a serial killer or is he like in Home Alone? He's just actually just like a nice old man that people misunderstand. No, it's the origin story of the South Bend Shovel Slayer. It's a Christmas murder movie. (laughs) Christmas murder movie? Yeah. I feel like I need to know more. Well, that's what I thought. You could just (laughs) fill in some blanks real quickly. (laughs) Here's, Here's the setup. Parents, they're rocky. They're having a, they're in a really rough relationship. So they say, we kids, we're going to take the weekend. We're going to be back on like Christmas Eve. And it's a young boy, let's call him Sean. And he has an older brother. Let's call him Buzz. Buzz is supposed to watch over Sean. And Buzz is like, I have a girlfriend. I'm going to spend the night with her. I'm leaving. You are now home alone. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the entry point. Sean starts looking next door. He's hearing weird things. He sees people go into this house. They're dying. Like, or there's, he thinks people are being murdered. And then this guy's shoveling the, the, the streets with some salt. And then he breaks into the house. And then like it can tie into Home Alone. Like when there's something, I can't even believe I'm, I just saw your face. You're like, whoa, let's just move on to the big topic. That's all. No, what you're gonna say next does he take all of his traps with him in order to try and uh capture I, the killer is that where I we just, are yeah that's where we are gonna go i listen i hadn't thought this through exactly but i looked up and i saw your expression just now i was like what, what the fuck is the fuck are you to? talking about you know what my manager's question would be is who's the audience for this movie you know what your manager's wrong I'm actually not opposed to a version of this movie. Yeah. Does he bring the serial killer into his home and like kind of become the predator himself? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I feel like the midpoint is the switch between I'm the prey of this neighbor to I'm going to take control and become the predator and bring him into my home, my lion's den. Yeah, I love that. And while he's doing that, he can save some people who are locked in the other guy's house. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things going on here. I mean, I think this works. I think we could pull this off. So one day, mark my words, 
someone don't mark my words because this isn't going to happen <laughs> but it would be really cool if there was a really dark horror film in the home alone universe is the end because you know how in the new home alone buzz mm -hmm. is now he has McAllister security i'm aware if at the end the tag is that buzz from McAllister security comes to the house and like is the one who first spots the aftermath of what's just happened here oh, shit <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 game for anything. Let's move on. Okay. Hey, listen. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's the, that that's my. Uh, I'm gonna do this every week now. Well, we're gonna do Christmas stuff from now until the end of the year, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. Big topic. All right. Our big topic today comes from a producer friend of mine, and she reached out to me i think in the midst of her frustration she's working with a couple writers who are a bit newer and she really trusted them to come through for her on a couple projects like even got them paid on these projects and they're just not coming through for her because they are falling into a trap that i think a lot of newer writers fall into including myself which is to give the producer what they want instead of coming at the project with their own vision and point of view. So kind of in the vein of a fireside chat, I'm going to present these two stories to you that mm. um, have great implications for us as screenwriters. Um, but I'm going to kind of tell it from the point of view of the producer. Okay. Okay. I meet a young writer whom I really love. I love her so much. I help her get some jobs on shows that I'm working on. And I really want to develop with her at some point, but there's nothing quite at my company that's right for her yet. Then one day that golden day comes and there is something that comes down the pipeline that I think is perfect for her and right in her space. So I reach out to her and I say, look, we're trying to find a story in this space. For example, sci-fi espionage with a female lead or something mm. like that. I'm in. And we have this whole space that you can tell whatever story you want to in. We just want it to be in this space. That's what we're, we want to sell. And I think you would kill it. So if anything sparks you about this, like, let me know. And that's the email I fire off as the producer. Three weeks later, the writer gets back to me via email and is like, here's a proposal for a story that I think would be great in this space that I would want to tell. And the producer's like, great. There's something super interesting in here. But because the writer is so kind of new, there are still some things that they're not thinking about because this is meant to be for for TV. So like, what's the hook? Where does the series live? Like what's driving the story forward? The writer just kind of hadn't wrapped her mind around those things yet, which yeah. is maybe fair. It's early in the process, but the producer just kind of writes back, look, like let's, let's think about those things, but let's make a deal for you to write a treatment for this and we'll pay you. And there's some nuance to this that, I kind of was going to skip over, but I think is actually kind of interesting where while the agent is making the deal for the writer, the producer and the writer, we're like moving forward. We're developing the story together, throwing out ideas back and forth over phone or email. We're working together on specifics. And then I get a call from the agent saying, you have to stop developing with my client. The deal's mm -hmm. not closed yet. And the producer, me, I'm like, oh. I didn't realize the deal wasn't closed, nor did I realize the writer had a problem with that. But yeah, of course, absolutely. No big deal. We'll stop until the deal is closed. So deal gets closed. Writer comes back and now suddenly says, look, some of the things that you want, 
I'm not going to do because I don't think I can do it. Now, specifically, that thing is that this writer is not American and the producer really wants a show that will appear to appeal to American audiences and also to an international audience. But the writer who had said that they would be fine and could figure that out before, now that the deal is closed, is like, I can't do that authentically. Wow. Yeah. That's not cool. It's not cool. And the producer's kind of like, okay, I get and appreciate that you can't do that authentically. And, I, and I'm glad you said that. Sort of wish you would have told me that before we made the deal. But okay. Look, I just want you to write the best characters, the best story that you can write. Just give us something to, to sort of sink our teeth into that we can work off of. And whatever you're passionate about, that's going to end up being the best story anyways. And yes, we're still going to need some element of this internationalism so that I can sell it. That's part of my job. But go forth. And they're like, okay, great. We all agree. So time goes by and the producer has just commissioned a short outline. That's it. Not a treatment, which is usually much longer, just a short outline. But then one month goes by and then two months go by and finally four months go by. And every month the producer is emailing the writer just to check in. No response. Like ghosting. Wow. Radio ghosting. silence, huh? Radio silence. Yeah. Emails the agent. No response. What? Finally, the writer resurfaces. Turns out there's been a family tragedy. Oh. So the writer's fallen off the radar for four months. But the producer's also like, this is like a really short treatment. Like, just like you should have finished this within a couple weeks before yeah. th before this family tragedy would have even happened. Um, but okay, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, take take your time. Get back to me when you can. So now that four months have gone by, though, the writer's like, you know, I've actually rethought it. And I want to throw out all the work we did before and I have a new take on it. Which is like kind of frustrating for the producer because like we've done all this development. I'm expecting that six page outline only to <laughs> instead four months later have nothing and also have the writer tell me I want to go in a new direction, which of course means it's going to now take more time. Yeah. But fine. Producer says, look, just write what you want to write. Give me something to read that you believe in. And here's the key, because the producer says, I feel like what you've been trying to do is please me and give me what I want. But if you do that, you're never going to get the best story out of anything. Go write the outline that you love and send that to me, whatever that is. This time, five months go by. And Josh, how long do you think it would take you to write a six to 10 page outline? Uh, a week. A week. I wrote recently. I wrote a twenty-four page outline in a week and a half. So like, yeah, it's very possible. But five months now goes by to write a six-page outline that should not have taken that long. So just to just to rehash, basically, she was having trouble. She switched the story up a little bit, and she was kind of pivoting because she felt like it was what the producer wanted. Yes. Okay. And producers like, stop trying to make me happy. Go do your thing. Especially since it's taking so long, like hands right. off, like just, just give yeah. us something that you love, that you're proud of. Mm -hmm. So all told, this kind of keeps going for a year and a half wow. before a six page outline gets emailed to the producer. And the producer emails the writer and says, great, I'm excited to read it. I'll call you after I've read it. Shortly thereafter, the agent emails the producer and says, you will not be talking to my client later. You will not be talking about this project anymore with them at all. Consider this six page outline to be her delivery. And unless you pay her more money to develop with you, you will not be setting any more calls. What? Yeah. 
And the producer is, of course, stunned by this. But it turns out that the writer's point of view, because I always want to see both sides. And while it seems like a dick move, <laughs> I think no, the writer's point to. of view was that through this whole year and a half process, every now and again, they would submit an act one or an act two and get feedback and then revise and then act one, two, and three. And what kind of, that's how the development process would work. So the oh, writer felt to her agent, to the producer. Oh, so the, oh, so the writer was kind of giving, getting feedback every now and again way. would like ping an act oh, here I see. or there, but was not actually turning in the six pages. So in the writer's mind, they were developing actively. And this is like, one of many drafts in their mind oh. whereas the producer's point of view is no multiple drafts were not submitted you were sim we were simply developing that was the process i saw a few acts but i've never seen the whole thing put together now technically i feel like the agent is probably right in this scenario because once you deliver yeah. your outline or your script whatever it is you are technically done yeah but because we want to come at this from the producer's point of view in this story and we're kind of talking about how to practically function as a working screenwriter and grow your career with these relationships i think it's important to look how how the producer feels in this case because the producer has waited one and a half years along the way has invested money has invested time in this writer to help them yeah. develop this idea that are that they originally sparked to it wasn't like i'm assigning you this idea it was like hey if you want to write in this space you can and the writer's like yeah this sounds cool here's my idea yeah so helping them develop an idea in this space with the promise of you know having a real producer behind your your project and it should have been turned in within a month of the deal yeah, for sure easily but now it's been a year and a half <laughs> and not only is like the producer way less passionate about it but the writer has now presented themselves to the producer in a specific way that's not very flattering which means like the producer's not super excited to continue working with this writer of course i think to me if i was the writer in this scenario and I really wanted to maintain this relationship and potentially turn this into a real job, I would apologize profusely that it took me this long and give the producer at least one additional pass on, mm -hmm. on the outline, right? Like allow them to at least give me one round of notes because I think the producer deserves a shot at responding to what you have given them, especially if they've paid you for this, right? If yeah. you've been writing this for free, that's kind of another story, sort of do what you want in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it sort of seems to me if I'm super guessing here, but if I'm putting my my mind in, in the writer's brain, it sort of feels like they maybe lost interest in the project along the way too, if that's yeah. how they handled it, right? Yeah, just like, I, want, I just want to get this done. I've been in that scenario where I've worked with someone on something and, and you're just doing pass after pass. And you're like, well, I've been on this for a couple of months. I might as well just keep going because I don't want to have all this wasted time. Yeah. But you, you're, you're kind of disconnected and you think you can kind of trick yourself back into being reconnected? Yeah. I think that, I mean, that's, that seems to be, I'm projecting, that seems to be what happened here. But I think what's the most interesting part of this story is that after it's all done, the agent says to the producer, my writer was just trying to please you. And mm. the outline that she wrote for you was what she thought you wanted. And the producer's like, well, in trying to please me, she pleased nobody. Like this, yeah. this, I can't do anything with this six page outline and you're not allowing me to give notes on it. <laughs> and I think this is why the producer ended up reaching out to me to talk about this, because I think at every point in the process, she thought she was being clear to the writer that she wanted them to write what they were passionate about. 
But because this writer was kind of new, they came from not a screenwriting background. This was sort of one of their first forays yeah. into this, that whenever the producer gave notes on act one or on the midpoint, whatever these signposts were that they were they're sharing during this development process, the new writer kind of panicked and thought, well, shit, I have to do these notes. And the producer to me was like, why do writers do this? <laughs> like, it was yeah. kind of like, why do writers listen to us? <laughs> it's kind of what she was saying. Like, why don't they do their own thing and take our notes as a jumping off point? And that is a really interesting conversation to have because I know you and I have definitely fallen into this trap. And I know many, many writers who have and many, many writers who have, and it has cost them a career which yeah. is interesting because I have seen writers, for instance, who the whole town is really excited about, but they cannot execute notes in a creative and interesting way that moves the script along because all mm -hmm. they're doing is trying to transcribe what the producer wants because they're so afraid that they're going to lose momentum or lose that love that this producer has for them. Yeah. You know, while you're saying this, I also, I was thinking about how when, you know, when you get notes and I you before I used to be very agreeable when someone would give a note and I'd say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. That's awesome. And I'd act really interested in every single note. And I have been in the position where I'd incorporate notes just because I seemed engaged, but somewhere inside of me, I thought to myself, this isn't the right, the right thing, but I would do it anyway, because mm -hmm. I, for whatever reason. And this is why it's so important when you get notes from someone, all the, you know, always be engaged with everything, but kind of approach it with, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll think about it. And there's ways to kind of push getting notes and, uh, to, uh, to a way where you're not like agreeing with everything. And, yeah. and that way you don't have to execute on everything. And that, at least that's a trap I've fallen into where I, I've, I've felt like I've projected that I loved something. Oh, I love that idea. And then you mm -hmm. just don't do it. And someone's like, well, what? But you said Why you loved you so it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Yeah. And if you listen to our episode on note taking. Totally. We go through this in in detail of, of sort of how to respond to notes in a way that you don't lose your voice in yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's really interesting. This is a really big, this, this, this is actually a really big topic because I, we both know, we've both been there about. You're just making people happy at some point with it happens to everyone. Yeah. Even this has happened. I, this, I'm sure this has happened with my manager where he's given notes before on things and I put it in the script just to make them happy. Like, okay. yeah, I did that recently on something and I've reread it and I hate it and I don't know what to do because everyone else loves it mm -hmm. or thinks it's right. And I'm the only one who doesn't. And it just really bothers me. You can just tell it's not my voice in this yeah. one half page. And it sucks. That's, that's, I have that too in one of my scripts where someone gave a note and I did it. And I just, I, because it was so small that it was mm -hmm. like, is this really worth pushing back on? But there was, it was this back and forth. And um, there's this moment in one of my scripts that when I read it, I know it's not me. And someone has read that script and pointed out this exact moment and been like that that didn't seem like you and I was oh like, interesting wow, that's fucking crazy yeah but it's there and i hate myself <laughs> i do too <laughs> i do <laughs> well there's one other story i want to talk about that the producer also mentioned that i think is even more specific and illustrative of this problem and then i think we can kind of talk about it a little bit more specifically and also more generally yeah so this story 
was about another newer writer who is trying to please this producer, but in a very different way than the other story, where this writer wrote a treatment that the producer really loved, so much so that the producer options this treatment for, for money. Wow. And this happens a lot where the a company may not have enough money to pay you to write a draft, because as we've talked about, the minimum for a WGA draft is like 36 grand or something like that. Whereas to option something, it can be anywhere from 10,000 to much less than that. So it's a way for a company to, who doesn't have a lot of money to still pay you, to still give you some rent money by saying, I'm gonna option your script, but we're gonna kind of use that option money as a pass, as a, as a mm -hmm. step, as a writing step. Meaning I'm gonna option your treatment for $10,000, but now you're gonna address our notes on the treatment. And so, the writer agrees. Great, I'm going to do that. Nine months later, the writer has still not turned in their new treatment. And wow. just to give some perspective on that timeline, the standard time it takes to write a feature is four months. An entire movie should take about four months in WGA land. And yeah. this is a treatment. And not only that, it's a treatment that's already been written. The writer just has to revise it and it's still taken nine months and they haven't turned it in. And it hasn't been radio silence like it was in the other example. In this case, the writer keeps actively calling with questions. And every time the writer calls, it's a new question and it kind of buys them another week, right? To work on the answer to that question. And the producer's like, I think this writer is stalling because they're afraid to turn something in that I won't like. And I think this is really the core of what I want to talk about, because this fear that writers have of failing a producer, that they take one and a half years to turn in six pages or yeah. nine months to revise something that should take a couple weeks. They're so scared to turn their project in and let the producer see it. So I don't know about you, Justin. I'd be very curious about your first experiences in working with producers. But when I got my sort of first handful of jobs, like first, second, third and fourth jobs, like I feel like it's, it's taken a while. I was so incredibly grateful for the jobs yeah. that I misunderstood the power dynamic going on in those jobs. And I think it's the same way we've talked about misunderstanding the power dynamic with you and your agent when you first get them, where you think your agent is kind of your parent. And that's how you look at them. When I first got my many, like, all, all, I feel like until fairly recently, all my jobs, when I looked at producers, they were my boss. And technically in some way, they kind of are. That's why it's a bit confusing because they are paying you usually or, they're promising payment or promising yeah. to take your movie to a studio but really at the end of the day they're more like clients and i i always go back to the example of like if you're an architect and a client pays you to design their house you are going to listen to your client tell you all the things they want for their house they may even get as specific as, as specific as being like you know can we like lay the pipes down here i think that would work really great <laughs> But you're the architect and it is your job to say, you know, we can't lay the pipes down there. I think it would be a mess because of X, Y, and Z. Instead, let's do this. Yeah. But when I first started getting jobs, I thought producers are my boss and they know everything. Because honestly, that's how producers position themselves. They like to do that, I think. They like 100%. to position themselves as people of authority, right? And it's what's hard is that 
they are the ones giving notes. So by extension, that kind of puts them in a place of knowledge, right? And in some ways, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm just an executor of this person's notes, of their wishes. And again, like the writers that we've seen fail at this have they kind of just become a stenographer for the notes, just inserting the solutions that they get in back in the notes document. But really what they're doing is they're, they're paying you to write something great that they're just guiding you towards. They don't want you to write their thing. I mean, yeah. some do, bad producers do, which I feel like we, yeah. can do a, we should do a whole podcast on sort of what bad producers look like. That'd be great. I think that's a really great idea. <laughs> yeah. But this was is where I feel like in my career, I wish I'd had guidance, someone to teach me this or a podcast of some kind, because it really did take me years to realize that this is not what that relationship should look like. They are not the boss of you. And I know I keep going back to this, but it was like such a pivotal story in, in my experience as a screenwriter, that pitch that I did for the sequel to Tomb Raider, the movie that I never got. Yeah where I pitched to the highest level executives I'd ever pitched to up to that point in my career. And I thought my movie was awesome. I think they thought my movie was awesome. But the feedback that I got was, we don't think Tasha's ready to handle this level of movie because my confidence did not shine through in my pitch. They did not feel confident in me, regardless of how much they loved my story. And I think that huge failure, failure was so pivotal because it made me understand that what execs are actually looking for in a writer is someone who has confidence in their storytelling. Confidence that they are the only one who could tell that story. So no matter how many times we're being pushed and pulled by producers at various stages of their careers, much more experienced than you, you still have a true north as a writer that you will be able to stick to and understand. But they were scared that I was going to be pulled in so many directions by all the many producers who are on this project that I would lose the story. Mm. That's really interesting. You know, a writer has to also be open and collaborative because if you are too stubborn and mm -hmm. you're like, no, 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 then you be just become a difficult writer and you shoot yourself in the yes. foot and you're done. So it's, it's just a weird, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. It's a very fine line. But the big picture is that you have to walk away telling your story with your vision. This is why taking, getting notes and taking notes, it's so important to just take a step back. Even mm -hmm. if you, you have, you wake up in the middle of the night right after getting notes and you're like, I have great ideas. I have great ideas. You just have to like sit on the notes for like a week yeah. because it helps you digest everything and, and uh, how you want to approach a producer's notes or in anyone's notes. Yeah. I think. It's interesting. Like the fine line you're talking about is so frustrating because it really does come with experience and we will try to kind of help you with as many examples as possible. But ultimately, you're going to have to find your own idea of what that line is. But one example that came up for me even this week was I'm working on a project that has half a dozen people on it giving notes and they all work together. They gave me this notes document and the notes made sense on first read. I had a phone conversation with them and I was like, yep, this all makes sense. I will, I will do this. And the reason why I thought they made sense and that I could do that and told them that was because there was nothing in the notes that were, that went against what I think is the core of this movie. Wait, when you say I can do this, meaning I'm going to implement these notes. I into... will implement these notes. Okay. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing they said 
sort of bumped up against what my vision for the movie was, what I thought the sort of mission statement of the movie was, and nothing compromised the character or the story. It only made it better. And I think that's the line you want to think about, is if producer is giving you notes that are going to make it better, yeah, their solution might not be making it better. And that's where this kind of story comes into play, was there was one note they had that I thought on the surface I could implement and I tried it and I was like, oh no, this is like, this is way too overcomplicated what they want me to do and I could do it. It's just going to suck. And yeah. I think a newer writer, like one of these from these examples we're talking about might've just implemented it. And the producer would have gotten and been like, oh no, this sucks. And it's like, yeah. but you told me to do that. But I think what you have to do as a screenwriter is, is, Try, I mean, try it. It's not working. Understand why it's not working. For me, it was yeah. because it was overcomplicating things and ultimately not necessary. But what I saw was the reason they gave me the solution that wasn't working was because of a completely different note. <laughs> and mm. I was like, oh, if that's, if that's really their note, then I'll just address that. And I don't have to do this crazy solution that they gave me. And so I'm going to try it. I haven't turned it into them yet. I'll let you know how it goes next oh, week. Oh, yeah, we need an update. Yeah, but that's an example of where the line exists because you're listening to them, you're trying their things, you're being collaborative, but at the end of the day, you know what the movie needs and what the movie doesn't need. And you're the one person who can really say that or not. And the producers need to hear that, that this, doesn't, this solution doesn't work, and here's why. I'm going to bring this full circle. Okay. This is why it's so important to have a vision of what you want. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's actually somewhat important to know exactly who your movie is for. <laughs> There's the argument for it. I is think you're be, actually right, yeah. You know, I, as you know, I, I, I'm working on something that started a little dark and then I, the, a producer came on and was like, I think this should be an Amblin movie. Let's make this a dark Amblin movie. And I was like, I'm fucking in. That's what it should have been from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other story. That was like the North Star. So now when I start to make adjustments, it was like, well, this doesn't really, this kind of goes outside of that lane. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think your manager is right about who the, who you have to know who the audience is for your script. But even the example you just gave, when you're thinking about an Amblin movie, you're not thinking, okay, I'm writing it for people between the ages of, I don't know, what is, what is the, eight and 30. Yeah, this, <laughs> like, this you're is, you're no, thinking that... of a tone, of a feeling. You're thinking of what Amblin means. Yeah. Not you're thinking right. of it's age what, groups. It's what it represents. Like if you're yeah. like an Amblin, yeah. So that, I guess there's the counter to that. <laughs> That's what's interesting about yeah. Am Amblin. You can say that about Bad Robot too. It's like, oh, it's like a Bad Robot mystery, whatever. Mm -hmm. Or like an M. Night movie. There's a twist at the end. Yeah. But what's so great is that when you did figure that out, that you wanted to make it an Amblin story, that did kind of become your true north. And now like everything else sort of sprung from that. And you knew how far to take things now. And you knew how far to push a certain storyline or a character because now you had your point of view on the movie. Yeah. So it's really important to have a vision because if you don't have that vision, you're going to start bending for producers and you won't know if you're right or if you're wrong. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me is I've definitely operated from this place of these writers where you're just trying to please the producer and what you're thinking of is like, am I going to be right or wrong? And as we know, that's not how writing works. Yeah. It's not either right or wrong. It's what is the character feeling? What are the emotions of this moment? 
and that's the only right or wrong you have to deal with. But I feel like when I'm writing for a producer instead of for myself, I am thinking in terms of, is this choice right or is this choice wrong? Mm -hmm. Are they going to like this or not going to like this? And I probe outward rather than asking questions more inward and probing inward for what the story is that I should tell. I think another example to illustrate why trying to just do what producers tell you to is a bad idea is again a story i've told before and i apologize but it's a really good one (laughs) Um, where i went up for this job that was a rewrite of a script and after i read it i called the producers to ask them what they were looking for in their rewrite because i had to go in and pitch them how i would rewrite it but i wanted to know what did they just want a character pass did they want the whole structure to change what did they want in their rewrite because it's their money and they said to me we don't really want to change much of anything. We just want a character pass. So pitch us how you would change the movie to make the character stronger. But we mm. like all the other elements. I was like, okay, those are pretty clear marching orders. So, all right, I don't love the script they have. I feel like it could probably benefit from a lot of structural changes, but I'm going to stay away from that because they very clearly told me to. And if I went in there and just pitched this huge structural change, I'm not going to get the job. And ultimately that's my goal, right? This is not my passion project. I just want a job so I can pay my rent. And I pitch this movie and they love it. It becomes between me and one other writer and eventually the other writer gets the job. And when I ask the exec why the writer sealed the deal and not me, the exec said, because they changed the entire structure of the movie. (laughs) Mm. I was like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) But the difference between that writer and me in that particular process was I looked outward to what I thought the producer wanted and I created a story based on them and pretty much them alone. Whereas the other writer looked inward and said, okay, what is the movie I want to write? And did he run the risk of them saying, look, we don't want structural changes, get out of here? Yes, he absolutely did run that risk. But I think this is the risk you take in being a writer with your own point of view. And unfortunately that may mean It's not the point of view of the producers or not the point of view the producers are looking for rather and you might not get that job but if you start writing just for the producer guess what the producer doesn't know what they want either as illustrated by this story (laughs) so might as well write something you believe in this is so tricky i i have a similar story to that actually yes tell me can can i all right this actually deals with our mutual friend one cousin pete Cousin Pete, who, if I doubt he'll listen to this this moment, but I'm sure he, uh, if he does, he's gonna yell at me. But <laughs> basically, I was pitching on something, and he gave me the parameters. He was like, "Here, this there's a couple people pitching on this one project. Here are the parameters of it. It's you know, it's got this '80s vibe to it. Um, there is an actor attached to it, and this is what they want the story to be." but just mm-hmm. figure out the characters. So they, it was a very similar thing where it was like, this is kind of the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. And so I took those goalposts and I started to deal with the characters. Like, this is what my story would be with those goalposts, these characters, blah, 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 blah. So I didn't get the job and I ended up finding out what the, the people who did get the job, what their take was. Mm-hmm. And they completely fucked the structure, mm. blew everything up, came at it from like this crazy different, perspective but it was just a different and fresh perspective Mm -hmm. and um it was a lesson it was like oh yeah just just do whatever you need to do (laughs) yeah just just, oh man you're 
as my one friend would say, you know, you're here for a good time, not a long time. So just do your thing. <laughs> Which friend is that? Like, he's <laughs> <laughs> one of my friends. <laughs> I'm mysterious. Yes, no, that's a great example of all of this and why it's pointless to write for an executive. <laughs> <laughs> just do your thing. <sighs> we say this now, but I know there's going to be a time when one of the when a writer probably one of our are like us we're we're not going to listen to a producer and they're going to be like we clearly told you this was the structure of this you're fired <laughs> yeah we're, yeah we clearly told, we you, clearly told you yeah i will say that personally and this is just my experience but as soon as i pivoted and did start pitching and writing solely from a place of like all right what movie would I want to write and watch mm -hmm. instead of what movie do they want me to pitch to them? Yeah. I started finding success and I don't mean I started getting hired for more jobs because that's not what I mean by success. What I mean is execs started to look at me like I was finally a writer who knew what they were doing. Yeah. It, I, I became now a writer they could trust, a writer they could have confidence in and between those two points, my skill level didn't change all that much. It was just how I approached the story was different because you, the writer, are the architect and the producer is just someone who needs a house built. Yeah, you just don't appease producers just to appease them. And just the last point on this, you, you can tell when you kind of come in with your own vision, you kind of get, people speak to you differently. They like, do. They really do. They, they're, yeah. they're like, okay, great. They, this person knows exactly what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. And it really shifts the conversation. Mm -hmm. It really, really does. I, it's hard to explain unless you, you actually do it. But mm -hmm. um, just have a vision. Don't appease people and do your thing. I mean, to, to try to get a little more helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no, Josh. No. <laughs> I mean, I think we should talk about how to kind of put these things into practice if you find yourself in these situations. Um, yeah, like the... I, I, I'm not like burn it down. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Josh is an anarchist. Let's all just remember that. <laughs> I do, uh, you know, uh, whatever. But I, I, I will say, yeah, you have to, you know, gently approach things. But internally, that's what I think you should be telling yourself. 100%. Like, yeah. I'm completely on board. I'm just giving you a hard time. Thank you. <laughs> but I think if you if you start finding yourself becoming one of the writers in our examples, right? One of the writers who's taking nine months to revise a treatment because you're scared to turn it in or you keep asking the producer questions to just kind of make sure you're you're not, you know, going too far into left field. I would say stop doing that mm -hmm. and just write what you believe in write the thing that you love the best version of that and you may have questions for the producer but ignore them for now just write the answers the way you think they should be and then turn it in and then along with that email where you're turning it in you can say look here it is i do have a few questions i'd love to discuss with you particularly that break into act three and where the climax happens it's not quite right but give it a read let me know what you think would love to discuss it because if i'm the producer and i get that email i'm like oh this writer knows what they're doing is open to collaboration they've turned in their treatment on time 
And they've acknowledged that they haven't got everything figured out, which is totally fine because that's my job as a producer is to help the writer get to there. Mm -hmm. And I think as a producer, I want to be in the trenches with the writer. But at the same time, the writer then has to meet me in the middle with their vision, their point of view for their story. Mm -hmm. And like we've talked about many times in our notes episodes, don't be afraid to say to your executive, I actually don't know what you mean when you want me to do this or execute this note in this way. Can we talk about it a little bit more? Instead of trying to just guess what your producer wants, which I think puts us in this brain space where we're just, we're spiraling because we have no idea how to address it properly. Yeah. Which now takes us nine months. But then I'd say, what do you do if you're already in it? <laughs> like, what do you do if you're in the middle of writing something and you can just tell you are writing to please the executive instead of writing from your heart? And I think my advice there, if you're already in it, is to take a step back and rejigger where you are. Like, why do I love this project? What about it interests me? What emotions in this story are interesting to me? And start to readjust your approach from there right to an emotion, right to a character, right to a theme. And then I think you'll find the true north that you're missing that makes you feel good about the story you're telling again. And the producer will appreciate it. Wow. But I will say, if you have any questions about this topic, if you have specific experiences where this has happened to you, where you felt this or you're afraid this will happen to you on your next project, please shoot us an email at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at act2writers and just tell us what's going on. We can talk about it on the podcast. We can just kind of reply to you because honestly, I think the more we share our experiences, especially on these subjects that are that have that fine line that kind of yeah. require experience, the better we're able to help each other understand it versus like, Here's my advice. It's really just here's experience, an experience that someone had. How do we learn from that? Yeah, we've received a few messages and and it, it definitely is it feels good to talk about because it's like, oh, this has happened to us or oh, this hasn't happened. That's interesting. Maybe this will happen and it it's please please reach out about it cuz yeah. it's 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 very helpful. Yeah, we can all help each other. All right, I'm just going to go to my quote of the day, awkward leave for Tasha again. <laughs> no, there's nothing awkward about it. It was great. Right. Quote of the day. Yeah. Your goal is to get a movie made. And you may get a movie made or you may not. But if your goal is to tell your story, the story that you want to tell, then you have a much better shot at having that happen because it's a much more specific goal. There has to be a single-mindedness about it. Callie Curry. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm on Instagram as Josh Hallman, Twitter Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.